and welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I am not Tyler Smith. <laughs> um, actually, can you st- uh, there was a lag. Um, there was a lag. All let's, right. Let's start over. Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I am not Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. Tyler Smith is uh, on assignment uh, as a father. We can say that now. Uh, the, assigned he, fatherhood. Yes, he has been assigned fatherhood. Assigned has, at birth. Uh, to um, uh, baby boys. No, no word yet on whether or not they're bouncing. I know that's a thing that people say about you babies. You can't bounce them right away. That's okay. not good for them, David. I you should know this in the future. Should someone hand you a baby, don't okay, immediately yeah. bounce it. Uh, this is Find why I mean, how I, old it is. Uh, <laughs> that's a normal thing. Yes, is your is your is your son uh, speaking yet? Teething? Yeah. Is it at the bouncing age? Bouncing at least stage? three months. Yeah. up to six months, depending on development. Okay, so it's pre-toddler. It's like infant, yeah, bouncer, exactly, uh, toddler. There's been a lot of babies in my family. I know how this works. Now, there's a lot of babies in my uh, family too, but I um, don't know anything about their uh, maintenance. <laughs> no, that's the part where you hand them off to other people. Yeah, I. Uh, so my wife Julie, who's been on the show many times. Uh, there was not a lot of babies in her family. And so I've discovered this over the course of our friends having babies that she just doesn't know how babies work. Uh And there's a lot of things that I realize I know just by being around small children, like my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can you give any examples of, uh... um, I guess not like how to care for them kind of stuff, but just like used to their bullshit, just like that they scream all the time and like normal kid crap that if you're not around children, seems more annoying i guess okay yeah um the thing that's still bad i I can never keep straight like how old kids like when kids are supposed to start like walking or talking like you could tell me that kids are supposed to be like i don't know if it's like do they say their first word at six months or four years i don't really (laughs) know i don't remember i don't remember that part of my own life that well um no the walking and talking is actually pretty like it happens kind of at the same time Okay. Obviously, the talking, it takes some time to develop. They're not as uh, verbose as you or I uh, at one, one and a half, but that is when they start, you know, kind of vocalizing. I know. I, the thing I was saying, when, when I first met my wife, we, we were, she had the one nephew, now our nephew, because we're married, uh, on, right. on her side, and he was only four years old. And um, I used to say, like, she just, my wife loves, uh, uh, our nephew, um, and, and, uh, is always very close to him. And I used to say like, I can't wait till he's older and old enough to have opinions on things. Right. And she'd be like, no, I want him to stay young <laughs> forever. But now like he is, he's like 16 now. Um, it turns out all his opinions are awful. <laughs> and boy, do you regret <laughs> saying that? No, he does. I mean, I don't always agree with his uh, opinions, but there was a time when he was old enough to have opinions that were just like ridiculous. Sure. And I remember, I remember getting into an argument, like actually like getting him getting under my skin and getting angry about, uh, is, Spy, I was saying Spy Kids 2 is the one on the island. Spy Kids 3 is the one where they go and do a video game. That's true. Okay. You and I, as adults, know that that's true of the oh, Spy I, Kids as franchise. As an adult, I've never seen Spy Kids. Um, <laughs> um, that's too bad, because you're younger than I am. Yeah. Maybe not, not, not young enough that you would have been an actual kid. Right. Um, but, uh, but he was like, no, it's the other way around. And I was like, I know, I know that I'm right. right. And I know that you're only like six years old. You don't know anything. I'm right. And so I... <laughs> went to the trouble of like <laughs> getting on my phone and sure. showing him on my phone uh, uh which one is spike it's two and which one is spike it's three and he said your computer's wrong <laughs> that's amazing you would be a bad teacher then you'd get very uh, flustered by all the kids saying you're wrong about everything yeah i would be uh, i have never pretended to think that i would be good at being around kids in a long-term capacity i think that's part of the reason i that i don't want to have children is because i have no illusions about my lack of of patience i Uh, have at various times uh been interested in teaching but that's because you can give the kids away you know when you're done with them there's a very firm line where they just go home um no the only thing that's ever made me want to have kids is whenever i think of like oh that'd be a good name 
Oh, like, sure. I think about naming kids. Uh, anyway, uh, so, now, now, so now what I do is whenever one of my uh, siblings or their spouses uh, is, is pregnant, I just start recommending baby names. For sure. Parents, parents to be loved that. <laughs> They're huge well, fans. Apparently, I have my uh, my my niece um, um, Josephine. I came very close to winning and oh. and actually getting her named Winifred. I I thought I was like Winifred would be a good name. My my sister in law was like, you know, that actually was already on my list. So I feel like I had almost talked her into it, but uh, they went with Josephine. Which uh, no complaints. Great name. Julia's convinced that she clinched the deal on one of the uh, names for our mutual friends, Josh and Megan Long, uh, that <laughs> they were considering a range of names and that Julie's last minute pitch is what clinched the deal. We haven't found this out for sure, but mainly that pertains Julie's illusion. You know, you don't want to find out you're wrong about that. I think I, <laughs> can we, are we allowed to say what Josh's son's names are? I don't know. People are weird about that. So I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I won't say the names, but I think I, um, uh, <laughs> jokingly suggested they should name them, uh, the name because they're twins, name yeah. them the name of the two brothers that James Franco plays on the deuce. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I pretty definitively kept those babies from being, being named. That. I would imagine so. <laughs> But one has to have a mustache, right? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> no, they uh, they both have mustaches. Um, I guess it is the 70s. There's uh, no, yeah. Is there not a major distinguishing feature? Uh, so in the... Uh, they did a really smart thing. The, the Deuce season one is actually uh, quite good. Um, after that, I think it, it goes off the rails. Um, sure. But they did an interesting thing in the pilot where... Um, one of the brothers gets beat up and so spends the entire pilot with like a like a bloody like a wound on his head yeah. so it's very clear which one is which then after that they pretty much just rely on you after the first episode knowing the characters well enough to understand okay. uh who is who although i think eventually one of them does uh uh grow his hair out while the other one keeps it short but sure. um but yeah they didn't do the like really obvious like you were like yeah like you were saying like one with a mustache and one without or one with like an eye patch or something yeah uh, i haven't seen the mark ruffalo hbo show but i think they do a thing there where like it's drastically different yeah one has like long hair and a goatee and the other is very close trimmed uh yeah I, I i don't love seeing the praises of of uh james franco but he did a very good job of distinguishing the two brothers uh on the deuce anyway that's not what we're here to talk about no uh, why would anybody download an episode about james franco on the deuce no we're here to talk about well, no way we have a, a topic later but you wanted to talk about another uh 70s set uh um project to to come Sure. Well, this was announced, I guess, before the record, well, not the recording, but the supposed recording of last week's episode, if you guys hadn't banked last week's episode for several weeks or months, or I don't and also, know. And also, not only did we bank it for a month, we recorded it knowing we were going to have to bank it. I think it, right. took, it took longer than I thought it would, but we also like made the mistake of timestamping it by talking about like the TIFF Oh, sure. It's <laughs> accreditation at the top. Like <laughs> it couldn't have been more obvious, like when we, uh, how early on we recorded that. Well, unlike that, this will remain timeless because as we know, every movie eventually gets made and people will care about this movie forever. Um, so there, it was announced last week that, uh, there's going to be a making of movie for, uh, the Godfather. They're going to go behind the scenes with a film directed by Barry Levinson, in which Oscar Isaac will play Francis Ford Coppola and Jake Gyllenhaal will play Robert Evans. Uh, based on a blacklist script. Oh. I mean, the making of, I know, right? The making of The Godfather is an interesting story, uh, but I think uh, Matt Zoller Seitz put it well when he said, as soon as an art form starts making museums to itself, you know it's in trouble. <laughs> and between this and the Ben Affleck behind the scenes of Chinatown movie, and then fincher's mank this year it just yeah. feels like we're in a bad rut of these kind of like kind of movies for people who already know the movies kind of thing yeah i don't i i don't love it also like i mean barry levinson has has made good movies but it's also a real a real gamble i mean he's made some real crap 
too. Yeah, I know Tyler's um, very into the babe, I, which I didn't see. No, I didn't see. I think the last one of his that I saw that I really liked was Liberty Heights. Man, I don't uh, know and that was movie. over 20 years ago. The last movie that I saw was Man of the Year, which was not good. Hmm. Uh, but he has made half a dozen films since then. Um, uh, this will also be apparently called Francis and the Godfather, which is not a good title. What would you call it? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, maybe I'd call Leave the Cannoli. No, there take the cannoli. Yeah, take the cannoli. I mean, that's the big plot point is they argued like they, the line in the script is leave the cannoli the entire time, right? And then on the day, right? Coppola's genius. Coppola's like, I got it. This is like the, th- the, 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 the part of the movie he can't crack. Right. And he's like, I got it. They take the cannoli. Uh. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, but also Jake Gyllenhaal is a bad sign for me in general these days. Oh, interesting. I, I, I like him. Uh, yeah. We've talked about this before on the show, uh, I think around Nightcrawler, which we couldn't stop talking about that whole fall. Um, but I, I don't like the new Jake Gyllenhaal. I liked him better when he's a pretty boy. Uh, yeah, I'm not a, not a big fan of, uh, of, of pretty boys uh, in general. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some examples. You know, I did like him in Wildlife a whole lot. but uh, Right, yeah, that was good. Oakja problems that, that was yeah that was definitely not uh and i feel like uh, him as robert oh. evans is like a bad zone um i liked him in the sisters brothers quite a bit he was fine i liked him in nocturnal animals again i liked him fine. in everest did you yeah i actually did uh everest is not bad i, I feel it's like fine um that's the uh baltazar Cormacor is a, a sort of a, a journeyman director that I that I go to bat for. He he, he tends to make uh, uh, movies with a certain uh, intentionality, even though they're like bland, like Mark Wahlberg crime thrillers, like Contraband or whatever. Like it, he he still uh, puts a lot of himself uh, into his movies. And, yeah, I liked uh, Two Guns. I liked a drift. Oh yeah, Two Guns. I didn't see a drift. It's pretty solid. Uh, yeah, I think. My main memory of Everest is this was back when I would uh, hop theaters a lot and just sneak into movies for free. <laughs> okay. And so I caught a uh, sparsely attended matinee of Everest in a 3D theater that was on a tiny screen and the projector was all out of whack. So it was just like heavily washed out. And I was just yeah. looking around me like people were paying $18 for this. <laughs> How ripped off must they feel? Yeah, I guess I can understand then why you didn't uh yeah it wasn't ideal circumstances for sure uh but i think it, unless i'm mistaken um that might be the movie where i first got to know um elizabeth debicki that might be the first thing i remember her from oh that's i don't even remember her being in that now maybe it was for me as well uh she she's one of the she's like the nurse who's or doctor or nurse who's down at the at the camp with uh she never. She doesn't summit. Uh, she's like down there. She's with too the, tall. With she the worried wife. Over. Yeah. Uh, I guess she was also in Macbeth that year. Oh no, I remember. I saw her in The Great Gatsby. That was the first thing I saw her. In. Oh yeah, I yeah, you're right. I did. Very that, striking in that movie. Okay. Um, sorry, sorry, listeners, for uh, uh, that. What are you poking that, at over there? Um some housekeeping uh stuff i'm not used to be i'm in tyler's uh yeah, seat sure. in like in terms of like running the recording right now um all right so you know what before we um go any further i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great uh tyler and i use them each and every day of our lives i'm not sure whether or not uh, uh, Scott does. I can't vouch uh, for that, but um, I can tell you they sound great. I was I can tell you today I was listening to new uh, new music from uh, Kevin Morby. I'm a big fan of Kevin Morby. He's got a song called Sundowner. Uh, it was, sound, it sounded good. Sounded great. 
good sounded good because it's a good song sounded great because of my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking what's your secret Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Scott? Yo. Let's get into it, shall we? Yo is Spanish for I, which will come into play very shortly. <laughs> that will come into play. Uh, uh, so back when, 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 the, when the pandemic first started, when we were locking down, you and uh, the aforementioned uh, Julie, your, your wife, um, were, I think, like days away from flying to Buenos Aires. Is that right? Um, I guess I can't remember the exact timeline, but it was definitely within two weeks. It might have been slightly over one week. Um, uh, yeah, because I, I think, I mean, yeah, my last day of work was Friday, March 13th, I think. Yeah, mine was Monday the, the 16th, I guess. Okay. And I think we were supposed to leave that, like, Thursday, but by then yeah. we already decided right, to cancel right. the trip. Um, and... Similarly, my wife, Natalie, and I would have been in Buenos Aires right now. Uh, we right were supposed to second. leave. We were supposed to leave on Monday the 5th. Um, and, and and it's a bummer for both of us that we aren't able to go this year. And who knows when um, things will be uh, good enough. You uh, luckily, because your cancellation came at a time when the airlines were just canceling everything, you got a full refund. Uh, yeah. We have a voucher that we have to use in the next two years so we have to hope things yeah yeah two years is reasonable if we were in the next year i'd be looking around like i guess (laughs) i'll just go (laughs) yeah Yeah, i'll see what the quarantine facilities are like in any given country what Uh, airline is it if you don't mind saying i don't remember uh you have to ask some of those are more my wife handles yeah my wife handles uh most of the booking things because she um because i think i have a tendency to be a cheapskate and (laughs) and like will like take the longer connecting flight of the shittier seat to save like i mean 20 30 bucks or whatever given the many travel problems you guys have encountered using uh that cheapskate method maybe time to rethink that uh yeah yeah that's that's true um uh but anyway so uh because we're both missing I'm not missing Argentina. We've never, we've never been to Argentina and continue to have never been to Argentina. Um, but we are, we're, uh, we're going to revisit the only way we've ever been able to visit Argentina, which is through the movies. So the we're going to talk about the motion picture. So we're going to talk about movies from Argentina. Uh, I'm saying it that way because the first thing you and I have to settle on is, is it Argentine or Argentinian? And if it's Argentinian, is it IAN or EAN? <laughs> Uh, I because the the internet does not have a consensus on this, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, I I haven't looked it up recently. I looked it up a bunch before we were planning to leave. Uh, not that I expected to have to convey this to any locals, or that they wouldn't laugh at me for any number of reasons anyway. But just <laughs> right. out of curiosity, uh, and for when you come home and invite your friends over to show them your slides, because that's course. what we still do when we come <laughs> home from overseas. We should start doing that again. Um, <laughs> No, so the only thing I saw is that it was basically interchangeable and has no rhyme or reason. Okay. Um, well, I feel like Argentine sounds fancier, so maybe I'll say Argentine movies. That's what we're talking doubtlessly about. doubtlessly say it interchangeably throughout this episode. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk, uh, talk about Argentine movies. I uh, have seen, looking this up, I realized I'd seen more than I thought I had, but still not... Um, uh, uh, still not a whole hell of a lot, uh, including there's a lot of movies that come up. I'm, I'm using Letterboxd here, and a lot of it is like about financing. And so there are movies yeah. like uh, there was a recent movie called The Twelve Year Night, which is like actually an Ecuadorian or not uh, uh, Uruguayan uh, movie. Uh, and Uruguay is 
very close to Argentina. Um, we were going to do uh, a day trip there. In fact, I think we would consider, I can't remember if we had, uh, uh, um, landed on that or not, but we were definitely considering it too. Uh, but like, so a 12 year night comes up on Letterboxd as an Argentinian movie. Cause it's like, so there's some financing, but I'm not really counting that. Yeah. Um, uh, similarly, actually speaking of Francis Ford Coppola, his movie Tetro comes up on that because it was shot in Argentina. Um, but similarly, I didn't count those kind of things either. See, okay. See, I was going to say if the movie was, I was going to, I was going to reserve that as a side category movies that okay, were sure. shot that like something like, uh, uh, the Robert Duvall directorial effort, uh, assassination tango. I don't know okay. if I think of that. I mean, that's an American independent film, right. But it takes place like in pretty much entirely in Buenos Aires. Um, and most of the cast outside of Robert Duvall is, uh, Argentine. So okay. I, I kind of would consider Assassination Tango uh, an Argentine uh, movie. Have you seen Assassination Tango? I have not, uh, no. But I I was just going to say, I love Tetro. And that was probably the first movie I saw that was like, oh, there's something going on in Argentina. Like, I think it, it's like a bad white people habit to just assume that any, like, Latin American country. And it's not that Argentina hasn't had its share of uh, political and social strife. I was looking up their history this week, and they had, like, a coup every two decades there throughout the 20th century. Um, but it's like, but that kind of got me cued into it's, uh, the extent of its culture and Mm -hmm. how much excitement and great art comes out of there too. And also how, uh, uh, Argentinians, I think tend to see themselves or at least are how they are seen by other Latin Americans as seeing themselves. Um, (laughs) there's a couple of things there. There's a, um, uh, a movie that just came out, I think just last year, maybe two years ago called initials SG, um, in, uh, which is about a, uh, um, Argent- Argentine, uh, former, uh, singer now sort of sporadically employed porn star, um, right. hanging around the fringes of the, uh, Buenos Aires sort of film, uh, industry. There's a festival going on and Julian Nicholson plays an American, um, uh, uh, studio or like mini studio exec who's there to like pick up some, uh, you know, pick up movies, uh, or whatever. And, um, yeah, she makes a comment about snooty Argentinians. Um, and then in, this is not on my list, not Argentine movies, a Mexican movie, um, from a year or two ago. Did you see, I, I just talked about, uh, earlier this year when we did hotel movies, uh, but I'm already blanking on the name. It's called the chambermaid. That is a movie. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the one you're thinking of. Uh, yeah. Um, and one of the guests uh, at the hotel um, is an Argentinian woman, and she's very much depicted as being a snob, like looking down, like very being very patronizing about like Mexicans right. and then like, oh, I didn't realize you had this here or whatever. Like, so apparently that is, <laughs> that's the reputation within Latin America is that uh, Argentines are, are snobs yeah i love <laughs> cultural stereotypes from other cultures like yeah. i know it's wrong but it is fascinating it's just a fascinating window the way other countries see other countries yeah um and another another movie that doesn't qualify but i couldn't i couldn't not bring it up because it's my favorite little like curious uh, details about a movie is that uh i don't know if you remember in starship troopers the main characters are all from buenos aires I've actually um, never seen Starship Troopers. Okay. Well, the thing the the idea is that it it takes place in a version of the future in which culture and government worldwide has become homogenized. It's all one world government and so okay. um they're from Buenos Aires but there is no more there's no specific nothing specific about their culture that says they they couldn't just as easily be teens from right. any other like rich place like malibu or whatever um like a, any sort sure. of rich bridge beach uh beach place um and so it's always uh funny to me when i watch uh such troopers to remind myself that these kids are all supposed to be from buenos aires which they call ba in the movie i wonder if actual argentinians do that uh maybe i could see it so that uh and then uh, i'm trying to think about other things i did, i forgot to look up uh, and i guess i could do this uh live um, although I have to type one-handed, but um, the recent movie Operation Finale, uh, yeah, most of that. which takes place in Argentina, um, I don't know if they actually shot anything there. I don't know where they. they that shot is a that good movie. question. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of. I mean, that gets to I think what's 
been famous oh, yeah. about they, Argentina. They did shoot like all over Argentina. Apparently. Yeah, good for them. Uh, but that gets to something that's I think Argentina's become famous for in kind of like American and European sections is just like how many people fled there after World War II and how many people on various sides of the conflict fled there after World War II. It's like famously a hub for Nazis, but a ton of Jewish people fled there. I think a ton of people from all over the world basically just were like, this is the end of the earth. No one's going to find me here. Yeah. Uh, they can't come for me. So uh, this is where I'm settling. And that kind of lend it, lent it uh, more. I mean, it kind of has a reputation of being kind of European city of the South, but that kind of lent it a more multicultural environment that probably fed a lot of the artistic boom that would happen years later. Um, which reminds me of a movie that um, is for some reason not coming up on the uh, uh, letterboxed um, thing, but is an Argentine movie at least takes place there called the 10th man, which is a great movie. Okay. Um, and it takes place very specifically within the Jewish community in Buenos Aires. Um, it's about a, uh, 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 a man who grew up uh, in this community and whose father is considered is like a rabbi and considered uh, uh, one of the pillars of that community. Um, and since moved to New York and he's come back to Buenos Aires for, and it's been, it's from 2016. So it's been like four years since I've seen it. I don't remember. I don't remember what brings him back. Sure. Um, oh, it's um, uh, you and I are both married to Jews and we should know this, but what's <laughs> the holiday where they wear crowns? Oh, because yeah, there's a part know. of it that the poster is him driving down the street with a, with a, uh, a crown on his head. I can't remember what it is. Um, we should know that, but, um, I mean, my wife is not very uh, attuned to the Jewish faith. So I, uh, I reserve all right to not know. Yeah, I guess that's, that's true. My wife is also not from a practicing, uh, uh, family, but you guys uh, still do the all. holidays from time to time since Julie doesn't have any family around here. We, oh, we okay. Yeah. We don't have the holidays. Yeah, we do like we get together with her family for for Hanukkah and we do light uh, a menorah, you know, light a candle right. every night during during Hanukkah. But other than that, we just like other than saying like, oh, it's Yom Kippur. Like I, I, uh, uh, I did um, uh, tease her about not fasting <laughs> or like the day <laughs> like the day before Yom Kippur. I was like, you're going to eat a bunch today because you're not eating tomorrow. Right. Uh, but um uh anyway uh so this guy come in the tenth man this guy um um comes home uh to for a holiday but also to visit his his father and his father again is this pillar of the community who's always like helping out and volunteering and donating and working with the uh, hospitals and he's running around and so the entire movie the guy like can't ever actually find his father he's never home he's never at his office okay. uh, and so that's part of the running joke of of the movie is that he's he's running around and then saying like oh your dad was just here and he asked could you do this for him before he gets back uh and, and so it has a, that sort of uh um uh what's what i'm looking for it has a, a relentless like pace sort of comedy uh to it and the joke is that his uh he, he never uh sees his dad or does he by the end i'm not gonna uh give oh. that away um what's, what's that one called again the 10th man it's really good it was um yeah i, I remember now and i went to see it because i had read good reviews but also it was uh when the 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 aria fine arts theater on wilshire uh yeah. reopened as a movie movie palace which would have been like 2016 yeah. um because for it had been a movie palace back in the day but for a long time then it had just gone to like live uh shows and then they re uh fitted it i guess as a uh uh kitted it out i guess as a as a movie theater and i think the 10th man and so when that opened i was like i want to see something there and the 10th man i'd read good reviews and was playing there and that's uh where uh we saw it also where i saw phantom thread the first time listeners the 10th man is on netflix should you desire to check it out uh so that's uh we could just go back and forth with with recommendations um oh but another one i wasn't sure if it counted is the motorcycle diaries which is a movie about an argentinian directed yeah. by a brazilian starring <laughs> a mexican uh <laughs> that was too borderline for me um but i do like the films of walter Sayas generally um but again he is brazilian yeah um no i i realized kind of in prepping for the episode that most of my experience with the uh, Argentine cinema is very recent stuff. And that's kind of most of where my list is still centered. 
So disclaimer to listeners, I'm hardly an expert in the cinema of Argentina, uh, more of an enthusiast, uh, but want to check out more. And part of the problem is just that like, for whatever reason, and this could have to do with their innumerable cultural upheavals over the 20th century, their movies don't seem to be that well preserved. Um, Eddie Muller's talked about this because he's been great about bringing a bunch of Argentine noirs to his annual Noir City events and to TCM Fest and stuff. Um, so I've seen a few that way, but he's talked about going to the... Oh, yeah. Didn't we see some together? Yeah, uh, El Vampiro Negro. Yeah. And I think that was on a double bill with Never Open That Door, but I can't remember. Well, I remember it was like a... a I, I lost track of how many movies we saw that night because one of them was like an anthology, so there were like... Yeah, I think there were like never, four movies almost. <laughs> uh, never Open That Door is an anthology, so okay. that's probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he's talked about going to visit their archives, and they're just, I mean, the people who work there are like super passionate and they're doing the best they can, but the resources are not that abundant. And just in kind of looking around and even going through, uh, frankly, the back channels of uh, cinema distribution to the underground networks and stuff, um, it's just hard to come by a lot of films older than the 90s at let alone in decent condition you know a lot of them are just taped off tv broadcasts um kind of the torrent side i go to which is great for old movies and has like hundreds of things you would could never see otherwise it has one page of like 10 movies from the 1930s and argentina had a huge cinema business in the 1930s they had the golden age the same as like france or the u.s or anyone else with musicals and romantic comedies and all that kind of stuff mm. but it, they just don't exist anymore um, or if they do, they haven't been transferred, haven't played on TV or whatever. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we have seen a few thanks to Eddie Moeller, thanks to the Film Noir Foundation, kind of restoring them and giving them English subtitles, including El Vampiro Nigger, which is a really great movie mm -hmm. uh, that's, I think, just based on M. Because M, or is that M based on a book too? And maybe it's based on the book that's based on I M's can't remember, stuff? but it's, yeah. It's the same story as M is really mm -hmm. what it's coming down to. Um, and my great cinephile admission is that I've never really cared for M. Uh, I think it's fine, but it's not been a huge movie for me, but I love Elvin Pura Negro. I think it's a really exciting, like atmospheric and nightmarish take on the story. Uh, well, I'll, you know, that'll, the oldest one on my list, uh, I had forgotten uh, to put that on my, <laughs> on my list. Uh, so the oldest one that's on my list is, um, the official story from 1985. Um, yeah, which I wanted to watch in prep for this episode, but with everything going on in the world, I just, I, it seemed a little too heavy right now. Uh, it, it is definitely a, a heavy movie. And I saw it um, back in film school. I took a, a course on Latin American uh, cinema. Um, oh, cool. And so we watched sort of a movie from, from a bunch, not, not every country in, in Latin America, but um, uh, uh, a number of them, including a, Chilean film called Que Hacer, which is so great. Okay. So great. Um, and also a movie called, uh, oh, what is it called? Something about a duel. Uh, and I can't remember what country it's from, but saw some great movies uh, uh, at the time. Official, the official story is, you're talking about Argentina having a an established film industry and studio like the official story very much feels like a studio product of, but like a, you know, a prestige awards season type of like based on a true story and upsetting, uh, uh upsetting, uh, true story. Um, and yeah, you, you reference the, the political tumult in, in Argentina's, uh, past. And the official story is about a woman who's married to a, uh, government, official of some sort um and they uh adopted a child that she was told was an abandoned child um mm. but during civil unrest as has happened in a lot of countries a lot of um uh, uh dissidents were you know disappeared those desaparecidos um and she starts to suspect that her daughter's her daughter's biological parent didn't give her up but were Right. killed and, and disappeared by by the government and that her husband knows about this because he's a government oh. uh, official um so yeah it's a it's a it's a good heavy uh heavy drama um but i uh i, I definitely remember it more for its uh place in the historical um record than i do for the the filmmaking which seemed pretty you know uh competent i guess sure that was the first Argentinian movie to win uh, Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. Have you seen the other one? 
Um, the other Argentine movie that won best. I'm trying to think what else that because I'm. There's no way Headless Woman won the. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing if it did. Yeah. No. What What is the other one? Uh, well, now you have me doubting myself, and I'm looking it up oh, to okay. verify. Uh, vamping, vamping, vamping. We're all hanging on the edge of yes. our seats. Uh, the secret in their eyes. Oh yeah, no, I that's a yeah that's a big one that I haven't seen. Although I did see the uh, somnambulistic American remake. <laughs> that's so weird that like. I mean, I have no doubt that the American remake is really boring, but the Argentinian movie, like whatever you want to say about it, and there's been plenty of people who have criticized it uh, for being too sensationalistic, it is anything but boring. It is like ridiculously propulsive and very much a thriller and very much every twist is like edge of your seat kind of stuff. And it has this insane one shot sequence through a soccer stadium kind of before that became like a huge gimmick. Mm -hmm. And even though like you can tell it's digitally stitched together, if you know what we're looking for, because like a lot of people, a lot of people had done that by that point, it still felt like really fresh and exciting. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I still think it's, it's a gas. Um, Yeah. I just felt like the, the the american version which dropped the the right and it's just called secret in their eyes i think you're right oh yeah i did <laughs> which i don't understand why um uh, uh but uh it just felt like they were really intent on making like a respectable adult version of a thriller you know and not uh, a fun genre movie which actually brings me to um Another movie, uh, a super uh, thrilling, fun crime uh, caper movie from Argentina, Nine Queens from 2000, which that was, was remade. Yeah, uh, I tried to with track John that one down. I didn't see it. Could not. Um, well, I was uh, lucky enough to, uh, I said 2000 because that's what uh, Letterboxd says, but I don't think it came to the U.S. until probably 2002 or three because I was working at a video store in Chicago and that's how I uh, I saw it. I uh, rented it from the video store I, where I worked at. Uh, and it, it definitely has a sort of that it, it, everything you want out of like a con man type of caper, like the, you know, sure. trying to catch up with the movie that's staying one step ahead of you. And there's double crosses and intricate plotting and uh, super cool criminals. Uh, <laughs> it has all of that stuff. Um, uh, it's about a rare stamp. Uh, it's not, that's what the nine <laughs> Queens thriller. are. It's not, I mean, like the, uh, but, but uh, yeah, the, the, the MacGuffin is not, uh, you know, something exciting like, yeah. uh, you know, a nuclear bomb in a suitcase or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it's still a super fun movie. I never saw the American remake criminal with John C. Riley. Well, I'm sure you're poor for it. Um, similarly kind of a long thriller rounds and maybe this will get us into Argentina's more art cinema scene of which my list is mostly comprised. Mm-hmm. Um, I caught a movie this week that's on movie um, called invasion from 1969. It's a really cool movie directed by Hugo Santiago, co-written by Jorge Luis Borges, oh. uh, who's a major Argentinian novelist. Uh, he only co-wrote like this and like two other movies, but um, obviously his movies have been adapted or his stories have been adapted in means for other movies. But this is a cool, like shadowy spy movie. It's about uh not specified invading force on the country and kind of the unspecified resistance move that crops up around it. And it very much has that kind of like moody people working like ordinary book, like at a bookstore or like a post office or whatever, passing each other notes, like all those great kind of like analog era thriller stuff Mm. that you want. Uh, but the whole conflict of it is like, as far as I can tell, impermanent. Like, I have no idea what's going on in the movie, but it's just like a blast <laughs> to watch a black and white movie, people in suits and in shadows, like, like I said, passing notes and uh, plotting against the invading force and evading capture and uh, double crossing each other and all that kind of genre stuff that you want. But with this kind of like existential overhang, because you don't really know what's kind of driving it. Um but I find that to be true of a lot of Argentinian movies. I think this is a complaint that you see when you look them up on like IMDb or Letterboxd or wherever is there's some group of people who just don't get it and are completely bored and just think it's slow and meandering. But there's something about the lack of specificity in a lot of the movies that I'll be bringing up that kind of gets to, I guess, a more like psychological air of it where like, if you're the resistance fighter in this place, you're not constantly thinking about the circumstances that led you to this moment. You're just mm-hmm. thinking about like what's in front of you, what you have to do in the moment, what's what you're feeling uh, as you're evading capture or collaborating or whatever else. Um, 
So there's a certain kind of interiority to a lot of Argentinian movies I've found that's kind of curious for a place that's had such a tumultuous uh, political history um, for them to then look so far inward. Like I couldn't find a lot of major politically driven Argentinian films, you know, outside of the official story. Yeah, um, that reminds me of. Uh, we'll get to the slow cinema. Well, maybe this is this one's considered slow too. Uh, uh, from just a year or two ago, uh, "Too Late to Die Young" is a movie that. Uh, did you see that? I, is that an Argentinian movie? Uh, oh shit! I thought it, it was uh, Brazilian. I've got it taking place in Chile. Chile. All right, it comes up on my list here. Uh, as Finance, a, yeah, it man. is Chile. They'll screw you. Yeah. All right. Never mind. Uh, that's a Chilean <laughs> movie. We could do a whole other uh, list on um, uh, Chilean movies because there's a lot of them that I that I like. Uh, I'm a big Pablo Lorraine. Oh yeah. Uh, Stan. Also, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, and I know you liked Nostalgia for the Light as well. Um, oh, I can't remember. Because that's dreams. the only that's the only one I've seen of his. Uh, oh, no, Pat- uh, Patricio Guzman. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, for uh, well, I guess listeners know we're putting out a uh, Battleship Protection is putting out a book on uh, the, uh, the best movies of the 2010s, and uh, I've been reading a lot of our coverage of best of the year every year, and I think uh, uh, you had nostalgia for the light as a, a top ten of whatever that year. That sounds uh, right. Was. Um, did you see the most the the Cordillera of Dreams? No, uh, I didn't see that, but I did realize I saw. I think oh, the pearl, the pearl button. button. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. Yeah, those are kind of like a. Uh, they kind of form a trilogy of uh, uh, sort of desert, ocean, and mountains as uh, reflections of Chile's uh, Chile's um, uh, recent political past. Anyway, we're not talking about Chile, and I was wrong that Chile to die young uh, is Argentinian uh, because it came up on Letterboxd as such. All right. So, uh, well, okay. So you're talking about the slow movies. I mentioned, I uh, teased headless woman. I imagine that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Which, yeah, for sure. Uh, and it also kind of speaks to, like the interiority I was talking about where like, it's very much in the side of this woman's head. Yeah. And I, uh, I need to watch headless woman again because I have, I loved the Holy girl. Loved that movie. Which I still seen. And then that's what made me want to, what I was like, oh, this guy's, uh, or this woman has a, uh, Lucretia Martel has a new movie out. And the head this woman, I didn't, I didn't get it. I couldn't get on her wavelength. And so I'm normally the first person to, uh, uh, to love movies that are seen as slow and deliberate and contemplative and interior. That's all speaking to stuff that I love. But if I can't get there, if I, feel like i spent the whole movie outside of her head while the movie's taking place inside i it, had this one felt like a movie that i watched through a window <laughs> you know like on the sidewalk I, I couldn't get into it and i maybe need to watch it again and try no I, that's uh interesting to say that because i actually felt that way about her most recent film zama um which was like widely praised and everyone i know absolutely loved it i just i couldn't get into it um but the headless woman I rewatched it this week and I, I really think it's exceptional. You should definitely check it out again. Um, okay. And it's like and, short too, right? Yeah. It's like 89 minutes. Yeah. Um, and kind of one of the ways it kind of gets into her head is just by giving you almost no context for her life. So the story is about this woman who gets into an accident um, and she hits her head and she kind of seems to be suffering from some kind of short-term memory loss. Um, everyone she meets, she doesn't really know, remember meeting or she doesn't know the context for why she's going to see them, but she's still trying to keep up appearances the whole time. And because we don't know these people either, uh, we kind of are at the same loss of like, is this someone she's friendly with? Is this, in some cases, they're like former lovers, um, they're close friends. Uh, there's a more comic scene where a woman gives her a gift and she's like, oh, thank you. And she's like, no, you wanted me to buy this for your dad. <laughs> Um, and then Lucretia Martel also uses the widescreen frame in a really interesting way where it's not used for like kind of its vistas or width at all. It's used to like squish everything down and make it seem more claustrophobic and cramped. Um, so it's one of the rare widescreen movies that actually plays just as well at home as it does in theaters. Um, yeah, it's a really, really great movie. And you are wrong is what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess I, 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 I guess I am, but, um, uh, I guess it doesn't. The, the the Holy Girl, which is an earlier, it's 2004 film by uh, Lucretia uh, Martel, 
um, maybe speaks more to my um, uh, uh, personal taste in movies by being very uh, Catholic or very uh, not Catholic, Catholic in the actual re- religious uh, sense or being about Catholics and about uh emerging sexuality in in a in an era of uh repression um these are pet themes for me uh as someone who grew up uh catholic um so uh i would definitely recommend checking out the holy girl and have you seen la cienega uh no i have not that's that's before the holy girl right yeah that's that's a cool movie too uh that's one that i definitely like didn't entirely get but was just kind of into its vibe which kind of describes uh, my general feeling, at least when I was first getting into him. Now I think I'm much more like into what he's laying down, but a lot of Matthias Pinero's movies. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I can follow the plots a lot better than I used to, but at first it was just like, I completely dig this guy's vibe. I don't know what's going on here, but he is speaking to me. Yeah. Uh, you've seen more of his films. I've only seen Viola, um, but I, same thing. Like, I don't remember what really happens in terms of narrative. I know it's a bunch of women rehearsing a play. That's, that's all that's really important. I just, like you said, I really like his, his vibe. Yeah. So he's done five films that I've seen anyway. Um, all of which are kind of loosely based on Shakespeare. So there's, uh, Rosalinda from, like 2011 and that was like a 45 minute film it wasn't even a feature and then viola which was i have these all listed here 65 minutes yeah Uh, they they get progressively longer but they never get long um so viola was based on uh 12th night and all these films are just kind of like about actors rehearsing these plays or in the case of uh hermia and helena about a woman transcribing midsummer night's dream um or sorry translating it rather um but they're all just kind of about them thinking about the material more than it is about the material themselves so there's those princess of france and then just this year which premiered no didn't premiere at new york film festival but i saw it through new york film festival uh isabella which is kind of exploring measure for measure and they all kind of take like the themes of these shakespeare plays and kind of the basic emotional kernel to kind of draw out something about the characters about the process of making art about putting on plays uh and they all tend to actually use the same cast too. Um, Rosalinda and Isabella both feature the same two women, uh, Maria Villar and Augustina Munez, who are really great actresses. And a lot of kind of the pleasure of watching his films is watching his cast kind of grow up and the kind of the sub narrative that takes place underneath the film, uh, which is used to really an interesting effect in Isabella, which kind of jumps time periods a lot, but we trace that through Maria Villar's pregnancy um so in kind of the earliest timeline she's not yet pregnant then she's incredibly pregnant and then the later timeline she already has a kid so where his movies will admittedly be hard to follow because you're not sure like what period in the story they're taking place and he'll jump around a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, there he kind of gives you very clear markers but in every case they have that kind of interior emotional truth i'm talking about of especially young people just trying to find their place in the world and latching onto art and the relationship that they build in the course of making art and kind of finding the ways that both lasts and doesn't last. And I think maybe it's just my own history uh, involvement with the theater back in high school and stuff, but that's definitely something that really tracks for me. Um, The way that when you're in the midst of making something, it seems to permeate every aspect of your life. And some movies have done that and made it seem a little trite, but there's something really kind of uh, honest and sweet in Pinero's films. Well, you mentioned uh, um, using the same uh, cast, uh, and that reminded me of uh, a movie you and I both absolutely adore, uh, La Flore. Yeah. Uh, which at least one of the four women from La Flore, Elisa uh, Caracajo, is also in Viola, and maybe more of the women in La Flore show up in Matias Panera's other movies that I don't, <laughs> uh, that I don't know. Um, uh, seems to be some of the same, you know, crowd. Um, and... Uh, LaFleur is like the perfect mix of the things we've been talking about and being like very unapologetically like arty and conceptual, but also uh, being full of uh, genre work and, uh, you know, switching from spy movies to musicals um, to, uh, uh, I can't remember what, horror what movie. else. Uh, horror, oh yeah. The, the horror movie at the beginning. It's so good. Um, uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I loved, 
uh, I love that movie, and I, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, what what else we have coming from from that director. Well, it might take another ten years for him to get there. Exactly. I mean, yeah, he made extraordinary stories back in two thousand eight, which is a similarly kind of like expansive, wild storytelling spree. Um, it's and it's as, only four hours. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, it's not as good as Lafleur for sure, but it's similarly kind of um, very narration driven, very much about the pleasure of kind of unraveling stories and the pleasure of hearing them, um, and just about kind of the wild ends you could take those stories to. Um, Lafleur is much more successful in there, in part because it uh, you don't have to track the same set of stories over four hours. Um, but it kind of is similar thing. What I've been saying of using kind of familiar narrative hooks in order to then obscure the narrative specifics in order to then get at some like emotional kernel. Mm -hmm. And we've talked before on the end of the year episode, uh, whenever that film came out um, about the film's kind of exploration of desire and how it really kind of becomes over the course of 14 hours about this director's desire to kind of be closer to these women uh, in some sense, like romantically and sexually. And it is worth noting that he married one of them. Um, But Oh, good. Good for him. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, But even beyond that, just like creatively that he it's uh, the four stars of the film are part of a theater troupe in Argentina. um, And he saw them perform and was just like, I, I don't want to just make one film with these women. I want to make 10 films. And, you know, he got halfway there more or less. Um, But yeah, it does that, feel like the, the movie goes on for 14 hours because he doesn't want to stop hanging yes, out with him. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And that kind of like boundless uh, fascination with kind of the world, the creative world they've created kind of uh, drives the movie, e- even if that's not, that's not, never really like the subject of it until maybe the fourth episode. Yeah. Um, but it kind of builds gradually in the midst of giving you three totally entertaining movies along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh yeah and there's definitely i mean a thing that um i've been saying on this podcast i feel like long-time listeners of battleship retention have like experienced me like i've used this podcast to like re-evaluate how i feel about movies over oh, the sure. over the like 13 years so long-time listeners have heard me like struggle with like uh you know a decade or more ago um sort of downplaying narrative sort of as how i judge uh, a movie right. which is how i think how people tend to initially as children that's how you uh interact with with movies is as, as stories uh in, in a lot of ways uh, or at least once you're old enough to start intellectualizing as little children you actually just probably interact with the 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 sights and sounds and stuff but um uh and i and i love that five of the six uh, stories in the floor are incomplete. Um, and I, and like, I feel like the fact that they're still so engaging, it doesn't ruin them because they don't end. Or in one case, they don't, they'd start out of the middle of nowhere. Um, uh, uh, it doesn't ruin them. They're not complete, uh, stories. It feels like someone making a perfect, like I had an argument and then someone came along and made, an illustration of my argument, <laughs> which is that the telling of the thing uh, can be what you get the, your your pleasure from moment to moment. It doesn't have to be complete to work. Like, and there are movies. Uh, again, thinking about this um, uh, end of the, this this best films of the decade project that I'm uh, uh, that that we're we're working on. There are movies that I don't like the way they end. And I still love uh, the Florida project is a perfect example. I really, sure. uh, the, the very end of that movie really like set my teeth on edge, really like uh, <laughs> uh, rubbed me the wrong way. But uh, I, I think I still put it on my top 10 list that year because that's not the whole movie. That's one, that's one part of the movie. It doesn't ruin the whole movie for me that it uh, ended in a way that uh, didn't, didn't fit with what I wanted from the movie and what I, how I was interpreting it. Well, especially because LaFleur's episodes kind of end on basically cliffhangers. So like for a generation raised on TV and especially raised on serialized TV, it kind of fits in with a familiar mode we're used to. And it's like, it's as though we didn't have to bother with the last season of Lost. You know, that's the the pleasure of the movies. (laughs) We just got the good stuff where we're all wondering what was going on. 
Uh, all right. Um, are there any others uh, that we didn't touch on? Oh, I've got a ton. Okay, well, I'll, 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 I'll let you get to your list. I wanted to mention, uh, when we were talking about movies that aren't really Argentinian movies, but shot there, I forgot about Juan Carwise Happy Together. Uh, which, oh, which uh, I I didn't know it was shot uh, there. Yeah, a big part of it takes place there, and they, and they, and they shot it um, in, in Argentina. And there's also a, uh, that I, if it weren't for me filtering letterboxed by Argentinian movies that I had seen, I would have completely forgotten about this movie, a movie from 2002 called Valentine, uh, which is just kind of a, it's a real sappy movie about a, uh, boy living with his uh grandmother because his mother died i think um okay. it's been a long time um i don't want to be mean or whatever it just seems like <laughs> it's real it's real treacly as i remember oh uh, sure so uh, wait, yeah, what else is on your very long list well it's not very long like that i'm still an intermediate at argentinian cinema but um another movie from the 60s i saw was uh, the romance of anisato and francisca which is just like an hour-long totally awesome a uh, guy falls in love with a girl and then notices another girl movie. Uh, and it's very kind of languidly paced and very much soaking in the atmosphere of rural Argentina. And just like, uh, you know, I, I think there's a great subgenre of movies about people sweating a lot and longing for each other that I am completely <laughs> into. Um, I also caught, uh, that's your Holy girl. That's your, uh, <laughs> sexual repression. I, uh, I have a lot of these kind of subgenres of movies that I'll watch anytime. Um, I also got a movie from the 90s that I guess arguably kind of kicked off this new Argentine cinema movement, um, of which I'm otherwise not terribly uh, familiar. Um, but it's called Rapido. And it's very similar to like Leos Carax's old, uh, early work or kind of a Jim Jarmusch vibe. Um, and it's actually kind of an inversion of The Bicycle Thief. It's about a young man whose motorcycle is stolen at the beginning of the movie. And we were thinking, you know, oh, bummer, motorcycle's gone. It turns out he's, like, pretty well off and doesn't really need the motorcycle. He doesn't have a job to get to or anything. He's just kind of bumming around riding his motorcycle. But he still uses that an excuse to go try to steal other people's motorcycles. Um, and the try is the emphasis there because he's, you know, not terribly successful at it. But it's cool, melancholy, kind of a great, like, 90s um, ironic comedy vibe to it. Um, the director's, I think, next movie, I can't remember if he made one in between, Sylvia Pareto has a great premise. It's about a woman who's trying to get her life together. Her name's Sylvia Pareto, um, who then meets another woman named Sylvia Pareto and becomes fascinated with her. Uh, the premise is better than the movie. The movie's a little scattershot and yeah. a little too uh, clever and trying to get, have too many balls in the air and just trying to tie them all too much. Um, it just kind of skips all over the place. Um, but another movie that was probably the best movie I saw this week called Anna and the Others, uh, which was allegedly so good that Martin Scorsese invited the director to go hang out on the set of Shutter Island. Um, it was directed by Selena Murga. Um, that's another thing I've noticed is that Argentina, very good at giving a lot of women a shot at directing, uh, as opposed to all, yeah. think about a lot of other kind of new cinema movements uh, and how much they've kind of failed women in creative spots. I found a ton directed by women. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned uh, Lucretia Martel. I should have, I should have mentioned that um, um, Initials SG is is directed by a uh, uh, a male female team. Right on. Um, yeah, and then the others is kind of about a young woman. This is another favorite subgenre of mine. Someone moving or not moving back, coming back to visit their hometown and finding how much it's changed. Um, and it's about a young woman who's been living in Buenos Aires and comes back to her kind of small Argentinian town, keeps running into people from high school who keep asking her why she isn't married, doesn't have kids, et cetera. Um, but it's just a great hangout movie. She's kind of loosely pursuing a former boyfriend of hers. So that kind of forms the narrative arc of the film. And she kind of gets into some misadventures along the way, including teaming up with a small child, not a small child, but like a young boy who's like nine or 10. Um, who lives next door to the guy she's seeking out. And they're like, there's a solid third of the movie is just the two of them hanging out and loosely trying to find this guy. And it's so much fun. Um, what else do I got here? Uh, another movie featuring one of the women from LaFleur um, is this kind of cool thriller called Astende. Um, it's about a woman in like her twenties whose boyfriend has just won a vacation at a hotel uh, but it's in the off season. So they're like the only two people there. It's like them. And then this old guy who's hanging around with these two women and seems kind of sketchy. And she's there waiting for her boyfriend to show up and she gets completely involved and obsessed with 
what this old man is doing with these two women and are they in danger? What's going on? So it's kind of, kind of a cool rear window vibe, very uh, independent kind of low tech thing. But for an 80 minute movie, it really draws out a lot of great suspense. And it has, and this is true of um, LaFleur too, at least in its earlier sections, it uses digital video really well. I kind of, now that everything's all like 4K and UHD, I kind of miss lo-fi digital video. There's something kind of impressionistic and fascinating about it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it also just, to me, it represents the time, like the the time in my life when I like had a driver's license and decent enough taste that I was able to just <laughs> go see like art movies in the theater. Yeah. And so like, uh, yeah, I, all kinds of like mini DV movies and, and shit like that that were coming out around the year 2000. That, that aesthetic is imprinted on me uh you know it, it takes me back to to uh, uh st louis's various uh art house theaters and and stuff where i saw like chuck and buck and, sure. and stuff like that <laughs> yeah as much as kind of like at the time i feel like we were all like get a tripod loser <laughs> now that like you see everyone using a tripod but not really setting up their shots with any care like these early lo-fi movies where they're just having a handheld camera are so much more exciting like if you don't know mm. what you're doing you know, your impulses will probably take in a more interesting direction. Um, anyway, that's my small rant about uh, 4K UHD cinema. Um, probably worth also mentioning uh, Wild Tales, which kind of was a minor hit a few years ago. Okay. You're giving me a questioning face. Um, who made that? Uh, oh, some jag. Let's see. I wrote it down. Damien's. Oh, God. Sifron? Oh, okay. I remember this. Yes. I remember this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see, I mean, I, I, sorry, I didn't see it, but I saw it a while ago. And so I don't remember it that well, but it's just kind of like the title accurately summarizes its premise, where it's six separate stories that are completely insane and totally engaging and total blast. Um, and actually speaking of things being wild, uh, one of the other great movies I saw this week was a movie called Castro. Um, it's about, it's about this guy who's being pursued by these other people for reasons we don't understand and who's left his wife in favor of a young woman, but the young woman keeps nagging him to find a job and he's determined to not work ever in his life. Um, and the entire movie seems to take place with people running from place to place, which gives it a lot of strange energy. Like, so a lot of times he's being chased and you're like, okay, that makes sense that he's running. How but old is this movie? It was from 2009. Okay. Um, but then like, there'll be like an especially older person who doesn't seem like they even can run, who will have to bolt through a scene just because that's the aesthetic of the film. Um, <laughs> and it really starts to get towards like the anxiety that not having, both not having a job, creates and also trying to find a job when all you're qualified to do is low wage work. So he ends up finding this job at some like nondescript factory where dozens of people are just rhythmically talking, tossing boxes across to each other. Um, and then his assignment is to go deliver a box and he's dragged into this car and they speed off somewhere. And then he's just pushed out in the middle of the road. And then this other car comes up to go pick him up. And it just kind of captures this weird, insane energy of, I don't know if you ever had to get these jobs where it just like they pay for like three days and you have to do some line of work that you're not really familiar clear about. And you're not really sure is maybe legal and like such so some guy paying you to do some series of tasks that make no sense. Um, but the whole film is like this crazy manic energy that is totally captivating. All right. Well, you've, uh, you've outpaced me considerably here. Yeah. Sorry. I got uh, I got really on a bender this week with Argentinian films, um, but those are kind of the oh actually no sorry one more uh, the fire which is another film that has a cast member of Lafleur and it uh, it's about this couple who uh, are about to buy a house they take this, maybe this is something about buying a house in Argentina I don't understand they have to take a hundred thousand dollars out of the bank in cash um, okay and they on the way to go by sign the deed, like somebody gets delayed, they can't make it happen that day. So they have to delay a day. And over the course of that day, they kind of reevaluate their relationship. And it's a really great, like locked room couples on the edge of, uh, on the edge of their relationship movie, uh, nonstop fighting, a little emotionally violent, but really, uh, really well done. All right. 
Okay, that's what well, I got. Uh, I hope uh, I hope someone uh, Argentinian or Argentine is is listening and can tell us what we uh, what we missed, what we got wrong, what we got right. Um, that would be fantastic. In the meantime, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. Uh, this week, I reviewed um, uh, Inja Manuel Soto's Charm City Kings, as well as Ryohei Kitamura's The Doorman. Um, one of those movies seems to be very popular with critics, and I didn't like it. One of those movies um, is a complete uh, low-rent, trashy B-movie fair, and I really liked it. I feel like this is a recurring theme on the podcast. I feel like you've mentioned this a lot. My uh, contrarianism? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so you can find those reviews at BattleshipPretension.com. You can email me at David at BattleshipPretension.com or follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Uh, Scott, what do you have to plug? Uh, not much on Twitter at rail of tomorrow. Uh, got, got a letterboxed. Um, actually LaFleur is my most liked letterbox review. Huh? Wait, how do you see that? Uh, if you go to your profile, it'll say there's a section down below where it says like popular reviews and I'm guessing they're just basing it on likes. No, my most, my most liked review is a hidden life. There you go. At least yours is probably more of a review. Mine was just like answering questions I had about the movie for people who might be interested in the movie. Oh, well, my second most, <laughs> uh, my second most popular review is you were never really here because that's another one. Again, contrarianism. I didn't care sure. for, um, and I just had a snarky, I wish I was never really there, uh, uh, <laughs> review of it. So I guess people responded well to my, uh, dickishness there. Uh, is that it? Where else can people find you? Oh, uh, you know, at battleshippretension.com at Criterion Cast, although I haven't been very good about contributing to either, unfortunately. Um, That's why you have so much time to watch movies. I, on the other hand, uh, never watch any movies anymore uh, unless I'm reviewing them. You just watch television. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I, yeah, that's one. That's what the pandemic has done. I, I mostly, with the exception of a couple of shows that I was loyal to, I had mostly given up on television around 2015 ish. And uh, yeah, lockdown has reacquainted me with with television. Right on. I just watch right. DCM all day. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 